You're listening to The Journey Podcast. In today's episode, we connect with an incredible mental health advocate, author, and speaker to hear about her personal mental health journey. Some listeners may be triggered by this content, and listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Petra Brunbauer, and with decades of experience with sadness, pain, anxiety, and stress, I finally figured out how to leave all that behind. And this podcast shows you how to break free permanently so you can reclaim your sanity and find the self-esteem and energy to go after the life you desire. With real talk about mental health, holistic healing, and the tough journey of coming out the other end, this is The Journey Podcast. Welcome to today's episode. Today, we share an incredible woman's mental health journey and story of navigating life with depression and bipolar disorder. Navigating mental health isn't always easy. Some people spend years finding answers to what they're experiencing. Once an answer is found, treatment might not be forthcoming right away due to a variety of circumstances. Throughout this time, service users struggle and try to navigate this difficult situation on their own. I'm honored to have interviewed Kit O'Malley, who shared her story of struggling with mental distress and how she has managed to balance living with bipolar with her passions and purpose. Kit O'Malley is an author, mental health advocate, public speaker, and former psychotherapist who lives with bipolar disorder. She has experienced depression so deep that it was a living hell and mania so severe that she was psychotic. There is help. Psychotherapy, medication, and coping skills have enabled her to live a fulfilling life. Acceptance has been key to her mental health recovery. Acceptance is essentially a spiritual experience, and to accept yourself is to love yourself. There is hope. In Kit's memoir, Balancing Act, Writing Through a Bipolar Life, she shares how she balanced living with bipolar disorder with her work as a mental health advocate and caretaker of her son and parents. Her book offers hope to those living with mental health conditions and their loved ones and tells how her mental health journey has given her purpose. Here is my interview with Kit O'Malley. Hi, Kit. It's so great to have you on the podcast. I've been looking forward to getting to chat with you because you have such a profound story about your own mental health journey and how to successfully navigate that. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. Oh, it's my pleasure. And to start with, do you want to share a little bit about yourself and how you got to do what you're doing today? Sure. Well, I first experienced symptoms of mental illness or a mental health condition when I was 18 years old and I was suicidal. I had a, fell into a deep depression. At that time, I got help through cognitive behavioral therapy and um, at UCLA, which is where I was a student, and that helped me get through the worst of the crisis. But the depression sort of lingered. Even though I was a high achiever, I was doing well in school in general, I found that I needed to take a break. So I took a break and I struggled with depression throughout my 20s. 
I basically did therapy throughout my 20s. I even became a therapist, but it wasn't until I was 30 and I became so depressed I couldn't get out of bed that I turned to medication. And then I first was put on an antidepressant with my regular doctor, my internist or general practitioner. And then I started having side effects from that and was given a second antidepressant to sort of take calm the side effects. And my parents recommended that I get a second opinion from a psychiatrist. And I went to a psychiatrist and he took me off both those antidepressants and put me on an antidepressant that ended up triggering a manic episode, a manic psychotic episode when I was 30. So that was sort of a clue that I might have bipolar, but because I didn't have those symptoms before the medication, the psychiatrist thought that it was just a reaction to the medication. So what I ended up doing was actually moving back in with my parents because I wasn't able to take care of myself after that episode. My brain needed time to heal. And so I went to a different psychiatrist and he very slowly titrated me up on an SSRI low dose. That's a serotonin reuptake inhibitor, like Prozac was the first one. And then I was taking Zoloft. They might be called different brands, different places in the world. And so I was on that and another antidepressant throughout my 30s. And then when I was 39, I started to feel like God was calling me to one church for spiritual direction and to another church for Bible study. And though my behavior was fine, I had this euphoric feeling that went along with it was I recognized as being manic or hypomanic. And so I contacted my advice nurse on the insurance card, on the back of my insurance card and said, what should I do? And she said, go to the, you know, I described the symptoms. She said, go to the emergency room now or see a psychiatrist today. I went to see my doctor. I wasn't able to get into a psychiatrist and I didn't want to go to an emergency room because I didn't want to be hospitalized. So I was put on a mood stabilizer, which is an anti-seizure medication. And my doctor said, promise me you'll see somebody on Monday. And I did. I saw a psychiatrist on Monday and I was diagnosed at that point as bipolar. And actually, if I back up a little bit, I didn't go into very much detail about that psychotic episode when I was 30, which was pretty dramatic. When I was 30, I experienced a week of sleeplessness. And during that week, I had three streaming lines of thought. One was in binary, which is just zeros and ones, which of course I didn't understand. I'm not a computer. Another was about the Christian mystics, which I was familiar with. And then the third stream was about chaos theory, which is like an area of mathematics and physics, which I was not an expert in, although I was a math geek. So here I had these three streaming, racing things of thought that I could not understand because they were going through so quickly. So I knew it was psychotic. I knew that it wasn't normal, but I was so fascinated by it. I was observing the thoughts and going, gee, I wish I could record these and see if they make any sense. So that's what happened when I was 30. And it could have been a clue then that I was bipolar because it was full-on psychotic mania. But when they asked me questions, they didn't think that I had the symptoms of bipolar before that incident. So they didn't think that I had bipolar. And at that time, they didn't have bipolar 2 or other things in the DSM, which is the United States Diagnostics Statistical Manual. Mm -hmm. They just had bipolar 1. And that was a symptom of bipolar 1, but they thought it was just what they call iatrogenic. 
which means it's caused by the medication. So back to 39. So at 39, I was a stay-at-home mom of a toddler. Actually, you could call that postpartum bipolar in a sense, because I was triggered during while I was nursing still. (laughs) And I had to wean my son abruptly because the medications I was put on were not okay for him to nurse. I had a very strong internalized stigma about having bipolar at that point. I thought, oh, I knew I had depression and I was on medication and going to therapists, but I thought, oh, it's okay to be a mom and diagnosed depressed, but now I have bipolar disorder and bipolar disorder is this serious mental illness that's progressive. And so I immediately thought, my son is no longer safe in my care. I put him in daycare and I went back to work. So that was probably the most painful time in my life was to think that I was not capable of being a good mom because I had bipolar disorder. And that took a lot of work to sort of overcome and realize that I'm a good enough mother. And that was my huge focus was on being healthy enough mentally that I could be a good mother to my son. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your experiences There is definitely a lot of emotion that comes up as I'm listening to you walk us through your life up until now. And thank you again for sharing that. Now, you were eventually diagnosed with bipolar, but that took quite a long time. And between when you experienced your first depression and when you were diagnosed with bipolar, were there a lot of times when you were misdiagnosed or felt like you just didn't receive the treatment that you needed? And is that very common in the mental health system? It's very common for bipolar disorder to not be diagnosed readily, for it to take time before it's diagnosed. And one of the problems is that people often, especially high-functioning people, first of all, you seek help when you're depressed, usually. You usually don't seek help when you're in a hypomanic or manic episode, or uh, many people don't. And the other thing is that I was sort of seen as a high achiever rather than that behavior being seen as, you know, with the workaholism and stuff like that being seen as symptomatic. So yeah, if I had been diagnosed sooner and treated sooner, I probably would have had fewer job changes. You know what I mean? I would have overworked less and I probably would have had a more stable life in my 20s and 30s than I did. Yeah, unfortunately, it is something that I hear a lot is people struggling with any kind of mental distress. It often takes a lot of specialists, professionals, and a lot of people in the system to actually tell you what is going on or help you with that and then give you access to services that you need. So that's very unfortunate that it often takes so much time and effort to actually figure out what's happening. I was just going to say one of the problems that we currently have is that our current way of diagnosing mental illness depends upon a lot of what somebody's presenting while they're in the office and what they report, Mm -hmm. that we don't have like a blood test, you know, or something similar to that to have a definitive diagnosis of the condition. And in fact, that's the same with many medical diagnoses right now, too. The diagnoses tend to be just describing the symptoms. So we've made strides in some areas of medicine, in some areas of medicine we have so far to go. 
Yeah, absolutely. And to add to that, also many of the mental illnesses actually overlap quite a bit in symptoms. So I guess even if you do see your healthcare professional and you explain what's happening, it could be one or many the things going on at the same time just by going by the symptoms. So that can certainly add to the difficulties of finding answers in that. Without a doubt. Yeah, absolutely. And you trained as a psychotherapist as well. And I'm kind of curious if you feel that that helped or hindered you in any kind of way on this mental health journey? Oh, it definitely helped me. I know that it hindered me in the instance in that the work I did was so stressful that it triggered my breakdown at 30. I was working with severely emotionally disturbed adolescents in residential and day treatment. And I had a traumatic event where a client, six foot one, 16 year old client attempted to rape me during session. And after that is when I wasn't able to get out of bed. I just could not face going back to work. I was able to get out of the session, but I still was very much traumatized by that. Yeah. So there was that on the negative side that the work I did was very traumatic. And there was some PTSD related to that. But on the positive side, a great deal of insight and skills. And those insights and skills were not only helpful for me, but they were also helpful for me as a mother, because as it turned out, my son had ADHD, depression, anxiety, and severe migraines. And they were kind of all part and parcel of the same thing. There we're finding a lot of overlapping of diagnoses in terms of physical diagnoses and mental diagnoses as well. And of course, anybody with a chronic illness can tell you that that will often involve depression and anxiety just because it's so horrible living with the chronic pain. So those skills that I had developed helped me be a good therapeutic mom, so to speak. <laughs> so I'm glad that I had that experience in order to be able to help my son. Yeah, that is certainly an amazing outcome of training as a psychotherapist, even though there was a lot of trauma and pain involved in that journey as well. And you spoke a little bit about CBT, so the cognitive behavioral therapy that you took part in for the depression and then also medication that you tried for bipolar and depression. Are there any other things that you came across in your mental health journey that you feel helped you heal and begin moving forward toward purpose? Well, I did all kinds of different therapies over the years. So I didn't just do the CBT. The CBT helped me in terms of just getting basic skills that help you get out of ruts. You know what I mean? So to sort of rewrite my thinking. But I was trained actually to be a psychodynamic psychotherapist, which is more family of origin and depth psychology. And although that did not help me necessarily in my depth of despair, it, what it did help me with was gain some insight and resolve some of my family of origin issues. Because I came from an alcoholic family, often alcoholism is related to mood disorders, and there's some genetic parts of the substance abuse and mood disorders. So that was helpful for me to work through, although it was very hard for me and my parents while I was working through that because I had lots of anger that was unresolved in my 20s. But when I was 30, they went out of their way to help me. So one of the things that helped me was that I was always good. And this is something I would say to everybody, ask for help. I was always good at asking for help. 
so that when I was 18, I asked for help. I called a friend. I said, would you please come and be with me until I get in to see a psychologist today? I went to my resident assistant in the dormitories. I said, please get me to see a really good psychologist today. I'm suicidal. So being open and asking for help is huge. Also, my parents, I asked them for help when I was 30, and they went way out of their way to help me. And it really showed me, and also my work as a psychotherapist showed me that families can be, quote unquote, dysfunctional, which everybody is to some part or another because we're not perfect, that they can still be loving. Because I worked with far more dysfunctional families than mine, and I could see the parents loved their children. So my parents, yes, they were alcoholics. And, you know, I mean, I'm Irish. Come on. <laughs> so there was some dysfunction, but there also was lots and lots of love. I knew when I was 30 that my parents would do anything to help me and that they loved me. And I think that that reaching out for help and receiving that help and knowing that if you don't receive, by the way, when I was 18, the first therapist I went to was not helpful. It was the second therapist that was helpful. So don't just try once and give up. You have to keep on trying. So if the first person you ask for help is not helpful, go and find somebody else who is helpful. So that's really, really big. I think that's super important. I think another thing that's very important is that you involve your family and whoever's supportive. I'll call family whoever is supportive in your life. That might not be your biological family, but surround yourself with a support network that you can reach out to so that when you do ask for help, there's somebody there who can help you. Even if the help is just telling you to please call your therapist, please call your doctor, you know, somebody there who is paying attention and observing you. Because I know I wasn't always aware of my behavior. So it helped having a husband and a sister who were able to say, Kit, do you notice that you just did this? You know what I mean? Or you just like my sister once on the phone, I was talking for a half an hour. And she said, at the end of me talking, she said, Kit, do you know that we've been talking for a half an hour and I've only been able to talk for five minutes? <laughs> and I said, thank you, because she was pointing out that I was hypomanic, mm -hmm. that I had this rush of thoughts and speech, you know, this pressured speech where she couldn't get any words in. And similarly, my husband will point out if I'm in a loving, supportive way, not in a critical way, but in a loving, supportive way that my behavior is symptomatic and give me feedback that I need. And I might not be able to hear it in the moment. So they wait until like my sister didn't interrupt me. She waited until I was able to hear it. Same with my husband. He will wait until I'm able to hear it. And that's incredibly important, I think, is just that support network and that team, that your treatment team isn't just your therapist or your prescribing physician, or I have a nurse practitioner who prescribes my medications now, but it's your family, whoever you find is your support network. That's so important. And I think self-care is really, really important. So you need to figure out what self-care means to you, whether it means exercising, which I'm not as good at doing as I should. <laughs> mindfulness, right? Doing some mindfulness, which I, things like that, listening to relaxation tapes, if you're not able to fall asleep, you know, there's different things on YouTube. And I'm a fan of the Calm app for that, for helping me fall asleep. In terms of purpose, what's interesting is that I've sort of over the years found that everything started to fall into place and that my past experiences came where I was drawing upon them 
And actually, after I was hospitalized in my 40s, I was voluntarily hospitalized because I was experiencing what's called rapid cycling and mixed episode of bipolar. I had myself voluntarily hospitalized it's in the hospital for two weeks and then did what they call partial hospitalization for months afterwards. And after that time, I actually ended up going to seminary because that thing with those mystics and stuff, I, I still, and, the, and God calling me to go to church, even though I'm not a minister or anything, I did feel this call. And actually, I had a very good experience in seminary. And it came to realize as I was writing papers and stuff that I had a call to a mental health ministry. And so that's sort of how I came to realize that this is my purpose. In addition to parenting my son and taking care of myself, my purpose was this mental health advocacy thing. And also when I was not only seminary, but I later was involved in the United States, we have an organization called the National Alliance on Mental Illness or NAMI. You can find them by nami.org for the United States. And I did their peer-to-peer class, which goes over several weeks. And it basically is a mental health recovery program, a psychoeducational mental health recovery program for people living with mental health conditions. And over the course of that, part of the healing journey is to come out at the end being a mental health advocate. Like that's just sort of naturally part of your journey when you're in recovery. It's been just sort of a natural part of my mental health recovery is sharing my story. And I wrote a book about it and I did blogging. I haven't written since September, but I used to blog quite regularly. Mm -hmm. I'm doing these podcast interviews and I volunteer for the National Alliance of Mental Illness, my local chapter. Yeah, so that's my purpose now. And my son, by the way, is now 22 years old. And he goes to college and he lives in his own apartment and he's doing very well. I'm very, very proud of him. Yeah. Wow. What a journey. And again, I just want to thank you for sharing that because I feel like there are so many listeners that need to hear this and that need to hear that through this journey that took many decades, you have found hope and purpose and a way to bring the experiences of your journey into your life and share that with others and help others in the process as well. I'm very much in awe of everything that you have experienced and that you're talking about today on the podcast. Could you go over some of your programs and services that you offer so that listeners can get a feel for how they could connect with you in their healing journey if they maybe wanted to work with you or wanted to engage with you for a speaking or about your book or anything like that? You bet. You can find out. I'm basically everywhere on social media. I don't charge for any services. I basically volunteer my time. And so if you need to reach me, you can go to my website, kitomalley.com. That's K-I-T-T-O-M-A-L-L-E-Y.com. And I have all my links there. You can also just put Kit O'Malley in Google and you'll get all kinds of stuff. And my book link is there. My book is Balancing Act, Riding Through a Bipolar Life. And it's on Amazon and it's sold in some other places too. But most of my income comes from Amazon right now. So they're doing the selling. Not that I have income, like it's like 20 bucks, you know, I mean, 20 bucks here and there. I'm not selling it as a big income boost. But the journey part of my journey is on my blog and you can read it just by reading the blog. 
I'm the person behind all my social media. So if you post any question or anything like that, I will respond. There's a link on my website to email me. Basically, it's me. I don't have a team. (laughs) But that's really nice to actually have that human connection because very often that gets lost when teams take over and start managing all of that. (laughs) So I find that really refreshing. Right. So if somebody asks me a question, you'll be hearing from Kit rather than hearing from. I can't afford a team. It's just me. And you know what? You're authentically you. So that's perfect for that. And we will be linking to all of Kit's offerings and her book, her website, and any of the other social media links in the show notes as well. So be sure to check there for how you can connect with her authentically because she will be answering all of the messages. And this has been another incredible episode. And thank you so much for sharing your journey with our listeners, Kit. I hope our listeners have connected with your experiences like I have. And if there's one thing to take away from today's episode, I think it's the fact that there's hope. And you do talk about that as well. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Take care, Kit. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen in. If you enjoy The Journey Podcast, please subscribe, share on social media, and leave us a review. And be sure to get your copy of our brand new ebook called Break Free. Sending you love and courage and see you next week. Until then, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and The Journey blog.